but I wanted to start by saying thank you because I have learned that when you sign up to share your story, to be on the stool, it's a very challenging and convicting season. <laughs> and that no matter what you've decided to speak on, God will push in those areas and yeah, just be challenged and convicted. But I, I don't I don't resist it, I would say, as much. So I am thankful. I am thankful for this opportunity and for the last few weeks of seeing all the ways I could still grow in this area. <laughs> so the series that we have been a part of, we've kind of titled it in two different ways. And for me, this is quite important. So we all know that we've been doing this series of Create Hope, that we've been looking at how creativity meets mental health and how we become people who can be a people of hope. And on Sundays, we've been in a series of reframe. And why we have two different series, and I think this is quite crucial. I've shared this story or analogy with a number of people, but it really struck me. Uh, Donald Miller, he's an author and many other things, was on a podcast I was listening to, and he was talking to a psychologist. I don't remember who asked which question or response, but the question was, what do you do when somebody walks into your office and they want to change their story? They want to change a habit that they have, a way that they're living. What do you do? And their response was, well, there's two really important things. One, I have to help them to understand the habit that they are doing, the story that they are living out of, the thing that they think is true of them. And I have to help them to understand what they want to be true the habit they want to live out of, the story they want to be true of them. And we have to spend places in both of these spots. And for me, that's exactly what we are doing. We're saying, if we want to be people who create hope outward, if we are a community that inspires, that points people to Jesus, we also have to do the work on the inward hope and what it is that's true. What We have to face what practices we do live out of, the habits that we do that sometimes aren't actually creating hope. And I think for me it's quite relevant that we talk about this in the season leading up to Easter. We often say that at Lent we give up something of worth as a way to draw near to God's story. And so for me that's inviting us all to give up something that feels like it's of worth, <laughs> these habits that we have, these frames of mind, these stories that we live out of, but to draw near to the story of God instead. So, for me, what is it that I am helping to, to give up, encouraging us all to give up in order to move closer to something else? My topic today is giving up self-protection for vulnerable connection. Giving up self-protection for vulnerable connection. So for me, self-protection, and I will invite you to think about at the end, what it, what it might look like for you, but for self-protection for me, I often see it in two big ways. One is in perfectionism. So I'll define for you how I tie that to my self-protection uh, and defensiveness. So in a way, or defensiveness would be if somebody, most likely Justin, <laughs> or I are, are challenging each other, or if I can, I just do conflict avoidance. So. In any way that I can avoid conflict or put up a wall and be defensive uh, or perfectionism are ways that I feel I protect myself. We all know that I can't really share from up here without sharing from my friend Brené Brown. 
we're very tight. <laughs> but her definition of perfectionism, her experience with perfectionism is one that I resonate with. And it's quite funny because I would never define myself as a perfectionist in lots of ways. I wouldn't necessarily say that in the way that I think we often understand perfectionism. But she defines it this way. Perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, look perfect, and act perfect, we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. It's a shield. It's a 20-ton shield that we lug around thinking it will protect us, when in fact it's really stopping us from being seen. So I've just got the definition up here. So while I don't necessarily think there's many, there's nothing in my life that feels perfect or that I, even that I feel like I strive for perfect, but I absolutely identify with this idea of minimizing or avoiding pain of blame, judgment, and shame. So to me, it's almost like I will get everything in my life up to a good enough standard in all areas so that I can avoid any sense of anyone's pain, blame, judgment, shame, any of those things I would push away. Justin would go into all of those things with great joy. <laughs> but I, I love that idea. I don't love it, but I resonate with that idea of a shield. And it becomes a heavy shield. So I thought mm -hmm, I would share a story and then talk a little bit about, for me, what, how I define vulnerable connection. I'm not emotional. <laughs> So I thought uh, an experience for me of how I've learned to try to give up this shield and what that has looked like. <laughs> I did share this story pretty well, Phil. I blame you. <laughs> so I think that I have learned a couple of practices to, to hear myself better. And two of those is that when I'm with people, I think I try to spend more time Listening, particularly if we're in a challenging conversation, but it's paying attention to my response. So we've talked about this with our circles, with our um, restorative justice, paying attention, going, oh, if I feel angry, if I feel judgmental, if I feel... So it's noting that. And then I think I've learned to pay attention to, I'm not letting that go. <laughs> so it's, I'm not talking about just any time anybody does anything that makes us frustrated. <laughs> Because if we wanted to go into a further conversation every time that happened, it might not be possible. But there are times and spaces where I think, it's, I just keep playing that story, or keep playing that hurt, and that's when I've learned to pay attention. So for me, I think it was a year or two ago, basically I, had, I was in a conversation with a friend about something to do with parenting, and I honestly don't remember which child it was or what the behavior was that was frustrating me. It was most likely sleep or hitting or something. And so I was sharing this from a place of vulnerability, of saying, this is what I'm experiencing. This is the challenge. And what I, what I got back, I have permission to share this story, the friend, was a bit of, have you thought about this? Have you done this? What about this? <laughs> Here are all the ways to fix this. And I just noticed everything in myself, the shield. <laughs> it was literally like, okay, I don't want to talk about that anymore. I now feel 
by moving into that place of vulnerability, this, I, I feel blamed, I feel judged, whatever it was. And whether I know that that person was not meaning that, but that was the shield, and I could feel that. And I didn't want to talk to that person. I didn't want to move into it. But I've also learned that doesn't serve me very well. <laughs> and so what I decided to do was to have a conversation, to sit, sit down and say, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I will get this. But I decided to say, I want you to know just because I want a relationship, I don't want a shield. That if I share a story, I do know myself in some ways, <laughs> and my empathy that you are seeing, often I can hear myself, I get insight into what I need to do just by speaking it, just by sharing it, just by putting it in this space. And I absolutely value feedback, and I seek feedback. But most of the time, I want to ask for that feedback. I want to say, what, what do you hear? What could I try? And so I was making myself known. I was giving my preferences. I was telling that person about my response. And I thought this was a good example to share because she was very gracious. She was absolutely able to say, I did do that, and I'm sorry, and I don't want to do that. And I, I feel like I understand you more. And I understand myself more because I see that I do that frequently. So we both were able to understand ourselves better to connect. I don't think that when we have these conversations, it always goes this smoothly. I don't think it always fixes something. I don't think that they're always successful. But I do know that every time I choose to take the shield down, I choose to not be a perfect parent or a perfect anything. I think it's a way that I invite God into my life. So for me, that shield often becomes, like I said, it's, it's the defensiveness. I don't want to step into this difficult conversation. It's conflict avoidance. It's avoiding pain, blame, judgment. It's all of those things. But for me, vulnerable connection is, is basically this definition. It's allowing ourselves to be seen, to be fully seen. I, I was struck by this thought from Brené, my friend, <laughs> when she pointed out that all of us have these behaviors where we try to numb different feelings. And so whether, no matter what we do and how we numb, but she said we cannot selectively numb. So when we try to avoid the difficult things about us or the pain or anything that's on this side, we also cut off what's on this side. We cannot selectively numb, she says. So to cut off going to those difficult parts of our life is to cut off connection. It's to cut off joy. It's to cut off the passion and all of the things that we seek to move into, and we live, and we end up kind of even almost making our lives and the experiences we have smaller and smaller. And I've experienced this. So by allowing myself to be fully seen, it's not just dealing with this, but then I experienced this. This is where I then my friend and I were able to say, that's what friendship looks like. That's what good relationship looks like. 
The other thing that I've learned about vulnerable connection, and I don't like this, but it will always feel scary. It will always feel hard. I always thought of myself as quite an open person. I think I thought in my 20s and in, journeying into adulthood, I didn't think that I was a closed person. I wasn't a private person. But what I've realized is that while I could share an opinion, I could tell you what I'm thinking, maybe what I'm feeling. If, if normal person maybe lives here, maybe I was living here, I was letting this much of myself be seen. But I had no idea how, and I had no reason to let God into anything else. It was still not, I, I was here. So I think something that's true about vulnerability is that every single person has these vulnerable spaces. They are different. You know, for me, moving into talking about parenting, where what's hard is vulnerable. But for somebody else, it's not. It's in their realm of what's not vulnerable. But it's always hard to move into those spaces. Vulnerable connection will always feel scary. So why? Why would we seek vulnerable connection? How does Jesus call us to this? How does the gospel call us to this? For me, when I come down to most any topic, I realize whether it's parenting or friendship or forgiveness, marriage, every time I seem to to see that it's not this black or white thing, it's not this is the answer, this isn't the answer, this is what you always have to do, but it comes down to connection. I think it's about how we can maintain connection. There's no one right answer with how we treat the environment, but are we connected to it? Do we have any idea of what's going on? Yeah, I just think in every way we are designed for connection. That's why we're here. Connection to God, to ourself, to each other, to the earth. I think this idea of allowing ourselves to be fully seen, like I said, is where we give God permission to work in our lives. So I'm not saying that moving into these spaces is easy, that it's always successful, that it's done with one conversation, but it is the only way that I can see that we invite God to work. And I don't think that God work scenarios where we don't invite him to. I love that um, Dave Riddell, a good old Christian counselor, when he said, lots of people ask me, do you work with non-Christians? And he says, yep, and I'll work with the non-Christian in you too. That to me is exactly what we're talking about, is that we all, you know, he has this picture of a house. We all have different rooms that we choose to not let God into. I'm not going to go there. That's too hard. That's closed off. I love in scripture where I see this, where I resonate with this idea of letting God work in other rooms of my house. When I, I feel convicted, but I feel encouraged uh, in scripture when it talks about not being a spiritual baby. That's where I see this. I say, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be a spiritual baby. I don't want to be immature in my faith. And so I'm just going to read this from Ephesians. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things... 
grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It seems like every place I see in scripture where it talks about being a spiritual infant and God encouraging us to grow up, he connects it always to the body of Christ. It's not go be perfect, (laughs) go fix everything in your life that you as an individual need to grow up. But it's because of the body. It's because we, and I was thinking about this, you know, there's nothing wrong with a baby. Clearly, I I like babies, but I thought if our whole family was a baby, it could be a problem, (laughs) a really big problem. And so it's, it's going, we grow up in our faith because of the body, because of the way in which we need each other and we encourage each other. It's not just this individual maturing of my faith, going to these hard places, but it's for unity in the body. And I love when Chris talks about unity in the body, or I think most of the time when you've talked about restorative communities, Christian communities, what is the call of the church? I love when, it's, when we talk about it. the church is called to be a witness, to be the community that people go, that's what healthy community could look like. That's what hope looks like. That's what vulnerable connection looks like. That's what I want. I don't think that we're there as a a small church or as the bigger church, but I think that's what our calling is. So to me, the hope, why we go for vulnerable connection instead of self-protection I think that to be fully seen, heard, and understood, that is the only way in which we can create our mature faith. It's the way we can be a witness. But more than that, I realize this is the Easter story. This is why we experience belonging, because all of this that's broken, all the shit, (laughs) even in light of that, we belong. That's Easter. I was just reading an article that said the mental health crisis can be just as bad, if not worse, in the church because we don't want to go to the places that are the most sad, the most hopeless, the most dead. But that's where we see Easter. That's where you experience resurrection. So I think that is my biggest encouragement, that when we go here, we experience here. We can experience resurrection. That's how we become a witness of healthy connection and the beauty of connection. So my questions to you, and I don't think we're going to have a discussion time, but for us to ponder, hopefully this week, What does giving up self-protection look like for you? What are the ways you put the shield up? For me, I I had to have a why, why I would possibly take the shield down, and I had to have tools. I had no idea how to go to those spaces once I wanted to. I've had to read books. I've had to be taught skills. I've had to, I'm still, I'm absolutely still upskilling in this area. I thought it's quite interesting to ask myself and ourselves, when was the last time that you had a vulnerable conversation? 
If it was two years ago when you tried to make yourself seen, heard, or understood, maybe there's space to invite God into something. Do you have two to three vulnerable connections within Mosaic? Yes, I think we get to go on this journey with our spouse, but do you have multiple people at Mosaic that you also choose? I don't think that we need to sit up here and share everything that's vulnerable and hard about us with everyone. I don't think that's healthy either. But do you have a few vulnerable connections? Are we building that witness of community? Are you willing or are you in a group of two to three who, who is committed? We talk about this being a communal practice that we say, we're all committed to this. I don't think just signing up for a group means that you get this, because I've journeyed and I've, we're learning. But by being committed and saying, no, we're, we are moving into those difficult places with each other. How do you help yourself to be seen, heard, or understood?